the, the way that God conveyed truth to us in his word is that God did not cover up or conceal the flaws of his people. And we see that on full display in, in the Corinthian church. They were a bunch of messed up people for real. And we're going to see that in just a little while. In fact, we're going to get into some kind of uncomfortable territory over the next few weeks. So you'll see just how jacked up this church was. But for today, go with me to chapter 3, beginning in verse number 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18 says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So the, very, the, most, the most brilliant minds on the planet are fools in comparison to God. That should go without saying, but we're pretty arrogant sometimes, right? Pretty arrogant people. The human race as a whole, certainly nobody here. <laughs> but in general, globally speaking, the human race, we can be a little arrogant, uh, but the wisest, most brilliant minds uh, on the planet are fools in comparison to God. And so in verse 24, he says, therefore, let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. Now read on down with me in chapter four, verse one, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. So in verse 4, Paul essentially says, you know, I can't really tell you anything right now that's in my life that's not right with God. He says, I don't judge anything. He says, I know nothing against myself. I don't know anything that would hold up against me in court. That's basically what he means. I don't, I don't know. I know nothing personally at this, at this particular moment against myself, yet I'm not even justified in this. In other words, Paul said, I, I have a clear conscience. I can stand before God with a clear conscience, but, but he who judges me ultimately is the Lord. Now notice what he says in verse number, verse number five. Hold on. I thought I put my, there we go. Sorry. I uh, think out loud sometimes. I can't do without talking. I thought my iPad was on airplane mode and people were freaking messaging me on Sunday morning, like they don't know where I'm at at 928 on a Sunday morning. Uh, anyway, <laughs> verse number five, sorry about that. If you don't have ADD, you're going to have a hard time keeping up. Uh, verse number five, he says, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring both, uh, who will bring to light, bring both, uh, bring both, both bring, I can't read either, um, <laughs> who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Can we agree that that sentence structure is a little messed up? Okay, thanks. Uh, then each, one will pr each one's praise will come from the Lord. Should we read that again? Yes. Let's try that once more. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, thank you so much. Yeah, it's the least I can do. Oh boy. So um, we've, been in a, we've been in a little segment of, of our study in 1 Corinthians um, 
entitled The Foundation is Finished, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's what we've been calling it. Um, and, but just talking about the foundation. And then today, we're going to just shift gears a little bit. And uh, Faith Management has been the series title. That's it. Faith Management. Uh, but today, we're going to shift and, and talk about building up, like growing from that point, right? The foundation settled, but we want to build up from there. Amen? Yep. That's sort of where we left off last Sunday. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to gather together. I'm glad that we can just have a freedom, a liberty um, to be in your presence, to be with each other, to be real, to be transparent and honest about who we are. And yet at the same time, we can pursue holiness. We can pursue your presence, God. We can pursue to be the best version of ourselves that we can be by your grace. And so that's what we want to do. We want to run this race with persistence. And God, we, we want to be faithful in all that you've given us to do. So please enable us today. Strengthen us in our understanding of your word. I pray that you would grant us wisdom. Father, I pray that you would grant us the power of your spirit, that we wouldn't just grow in knowledge, but that you would give us the dynamics that we need to carry out this life of Christ on the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to dive right in um, to a thought this morning without much introduction, which is probably not true because I'm going somewhere else and I'll call this the introduction later. But the, the reality that we've seen thus far in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 is that, that Christ is the foundation of our faith. Th that's so vital, right? It's so vital for us to understand that Christ is the foundation of everything that we believe. And I'll point out why that's important in just a moment. But notice in chapter 2 and verse number 2, just backing it up a little bit, uh, Paul said, actually starting verse 1, he says, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Verse number 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you were with us throughout our study of chapter number two, you'll find that, that God really has a lot of, of deep truth that he wants to reveal to us. And so Paul was not in any way, shape, or form saying that, you know, the cross is the only thing that we ever preach or the grace of God is the only thing that we ever talk about. He did say, however, that when he was among them, when he was, when he was discipling them, when they looked at Paul as a spiritual leader, as a spiritual mentor, he said, there was a time when I purposed in my heart that I wouldn't know anything. I was playing the fool. I played ignorant on every subject except for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, there are a lot of other things I want to share with you, a lot deeper truth that I, that I want to walk you through. But he says, until you establish the fact that Jesus is, is the very foundation upon which everything else is built, until you understand that fully, until you've wrapped your mind around that and well established that in your heart, I can't share anything more with you because we're not here to create some new religious system. This is not some diatribe or just some rhetoric uh, that, that we're going to throw around. This is, a, this is a genuine faith that we hold dear, and we understand that at the, at the foundation, at the very genesis of all that we believe in, there is Jesus. The fact that God took upon himself the form of human flesh and was made ob obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, that Christ himself died in our place, that he became our sacrifice, our scapegoat, our humble lamb who shed his blood on the tree for me and for you. And it's by his grace and by his power that we now live this life. And so you have to understand that the very basis of our belief system is that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If a person has works at the foundation of their belief system, everything else is going to be off kilter from there. 
If you think that your life is being built on your ability to do better and be better, then everything else that you try to build on top of that foundation is going to be corrupt. You're, going to, you're, you're starting from a false presupposition. You're starting from a place that is absolutely not only fragile, but it's futile, and you can't build your life on this idea that you somehow are better than somebody else. There is none righteous, no, not one. I don't know why religious people struggle to believe that. I, I tick people off on a regular basis saying stuff like this. People get mad at me for saying, well, you can't say I'm no better than anybody else. Well, you're not. There is none righteous. Ready? No, not one. You could say it this way. Not even you, Hoss. Not even you. None righteous. No, not one. And so we, we have to recognize this. We have to understand that the only reason why we are living perhaps a better life, I can admit that. I hope you're living a better life than you did before you came to Jesus, <laughs> right? The only reason why we are even in this position that we can overcome some, some of our own stubborn habits and weaknesses and frailties, the only reason for that is because we came to the end of ourselves and recognized the fact that the only hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. And so that's the foundation of what we believe. Chapter 3, verse number 11, Paul says, other foundation can, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus has to be the foundation upon which everything else in our lives is built. Okay, question time. You ready? Did you know that you can put bad materials on top of a good foundation? Anybody ever build a house? Any builders in the room? I see a couple. It's a fact. You can, you can have a perfect foundation and use bad material on top of that foundation, bad craftsmanship, whatever the case may be. You can put bad material or bad craftsmanship on top of a good foundation. We agree with that? Okay, see if you agree with this next statement or next question. Did you also know then that you can add bad information to a good faith system? <laughs> this is what happens a lot in Christianity. Even those who know Christ as Savior... And I don't mean just in word, I mean in all, all truth and sincerity. They know Christ as Savior, and, and they have that foundation. I've met a lot of people. I've known a lot of people like this. You can put bad information on top of a good faith system. We've been talking about a faith system, that everybody has a system of faith. So if you've been here, we've established this fact that we all operate from our, our deep beliefs. We all have certain things that we adhere to as being true in our heart, whether it be from our upbringing or from our education. We have all adopted certain perceptions and certain worldviews that we accept as being true, and we function, therefore, based off of those beliefs. And so if Christ is at the base of our belief system as he should be, it's important to note the fact that you can also add bad information on top of a good faith system or a good foundation. And this is what Paul was referring to in Galatians chapter number three and verse number one, where he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, who has tricked you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now, here's the question that Paul wanted to ask of the Galatian believers. He says, this I want to learn from you. Help me out. Help me understand this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law 
or by the hearing of faith? It's a valid question. Now, again, the book of Galatians, we're not doing an, an exhaustive study of Galatians at this time, but, but the book of Galatians is about grace and works. The fact that we're saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone has been established already. In fact, Paul said in such strong language in the book of Galatians that if anybody preached any other gospel than the gospel of the grace of God, that they're preaching a false gospel. And that they, they should be accursed for the fact that they're, that they're preaching a false gospel. There's only one gospel, and that's the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so now that we've established that, and once again, that truth has been, has been well established in the book of Galatians, he says in chapter number three, he says, I want to know this then. Tell me this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? We received the Spirit when we trusted Christ as Savior. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But we received the Spirit, the Bible tells us, when we trusted Christ, His Spirit came to live within us by grace, not because we became good church people, not because we, we suddenly changed our ways and amended our, our bad habits and suddenly God smiled on us. We received the Spirit of God by the grace of God. So the question, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith is a valid question because the answer is you received God's Spirit through faith. Next question. It's just as equally valid as the first one. Are you so foolish? Another good question. We would say, are you, are, are, are you that stupid? <laughs> Seriously now, learn, knowing what we know, knowing what we know, that, that, that we're all broken, we're all sinful, we've all come to faith in Christ, by the good grace of God, by God's unmerited favor. We didn't earn it. We don't do anything to keep it. So he says, now, are you really dumb to the point that you would think that having begun in the spirit, you will now somehow be perfected by the flesh? We all know the right answer. Right here we do. We know intellectually the answer to that is no, obviously it's all of God. We write songs about it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right? Stop, dry your tears. I know that was a beautiful rendition of such a sacred hymn. But we sing songs, we write songs about the fact that it's all of grace. In fact, that song, what a beautiful song, what a beautiful testament to the grace of God. That entire song is about everything from start to finish is God's grace. So we know that here. And yet we try on a functional, applicable level to live this life by somehow mustering more willpower in the energy of our flesh. Now, can I just run a short little rabbit trail slash soapbox? Is that okay? I know you guys like it when I do this. But it does amaze me how many people who claim to believe the gospel fuss over such petty issues. People who claim to believe exactly everything that I just said that would not take issue. I'm talking about people who would not take issue with anything I just said about being saved by grace alone through faith alone. It amazes me how many people who believe exactly what I said and what you amend who make issues out of such petty little things. You're wanting an example. I can see the look in your eyes. I've lost count 
So I'm not saying this, I'm not being petty. I can be petty, but in this moment, I'm not being petty. Because I've lost count of how many sermons I've heard on the subject of the way people should dress to go to church. I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard, either an entire sermon, I've heard whole sermons on the subject. If not a whole sermon, then at least a major part of that sermon. And yet, most of you in this room can finish the verse that I'm about to quote. And I want you to if you know the rest of it. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. I'm not looking at a room full of theologians and Bible scholars for the most part, no offense. But that's pretty basic knowledge. And yet within church communities, within, within my vocation of ministry, preaching ministry, People make issues out of things that God never made issues out of. Did you know, in fact, the only people Jesus ever preached to about the way they dressed, are you ready, were the religious people. And he called them out for thinking they were better than everybody else for wearing their religious garb. It's the only time he mentioned anything about the way people dressed in his earthly ministry. Study it out. And yet we make, well, I just think you ought to wear your Sunday best. I think if I was going to see the president, I'd put on the finest suit. I, I'd go out and spend the money and do what I got to do to wear the nicest clothes in the presence of the president of the United States. And I wouldn't dress down to be in God's presence if I'd do that for the president. And it all sounds good. The problem is that's carnal logic. You're, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to tell you, now I am being petty. What I'm going to do is in about 20 years... I have this philosophy that, you know, our culture's crude. I, I, I'm right on that line of Gen X and millennials, right in there. I tend to think I'm closer to being a millennial, but I'm really not. But my generation, we're so crude. We are. Y'all, you older folks agree with me. You know it's right. We burp out loud in front of people, fart in public. You know what I'm saying? We just don't care. We say ignorant stuff like fart in public. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't care. I just say, I say crude stuff all the time. I'm very unfiltered, and, and, and a vast majority of my generation is. So I have this little theory that in about 20 years, there's going to be a paradigm shift in culture where we go back to a, a much more refined, like all you younger people, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Y'all are going to start going, man, you guys are just gross. And you're going to swing the other direction and start being all like, you know, hoity-toity and refined, and that's going to be in vogue at that point. And so here's what I'm going to do. In, a, in about 20 years from now, when, 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 when going to church, suddenly the popular way to dress is to dress up. I'm going to still be dressing like I do now, except here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go scorched earth on all of you. And I'm going to say things like, well, remember back in my day uh, when we wore our blue jeans to church uh, and we let our tattoos show in the house of God. Uh, we didn't wear them silken ties and them little sissy thin britches you boys are wearing. <laughs> we wore blue jeans with bedazzle on the backside. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I'm going fundamental. I'm taking it back, baby. I'm old school is what I'm saying. I'll be old school in 20 years. You watch. It's going to be in style to dress up again. I'm going to say, I ain't doing it. I come from the old school, man. Where we wear blue jeans and T-shirts and let tattoos shine. Right? 
It'll happen. Here's the reality. <laughs> Reel it back. The reality is we make issues out of things that should not be made issues. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you want to dress your very best to come to church, knock yourself out. There's nothing in the world wrong with it. But what's wrong is when we make people feel like they have to meet a certain standard to walk into a place to hear a message of the grace of God and the mercy of God, and they feel unwelcome if they don't have the right kind of clothing, that's wrong. So you dress however you want to. You wear a three-piece suit, I don't care. Go rent your tuxedo, do it all. But don't make it an issue with people, and we, we, we create these barricades and stumbling blocks for people to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ain't got time to preach on all that today. The bottom line is that Christ is the foundation of our faith, and everything we build on top of that foundation should align characteristically with the very nature of Christ himself. Now, that is what we call an important statement in a sermon outline. Because you have to understand what I just said to you. Christ is at the very foundation of our faith, and everything that we build on top of that foundation should line up characteristically with the very nature of Christ himself. You say, how am I supposed to know what the nature of Christ is? It's actually not that difficult. Now I'm going to blow your minds. You ready? <laughs> not really, but I was talking to a friend of mine. That, you know, we're very spoiled in America. Did you know this? As Christians, we, we are very spoiled. We, we have, I've got so many copies of the Bible in my office. I collect Bibles. I love Bibles. And, and we have all these different versions of the Bible that we can refer to. Some are better than others. No time for that either. But the fact is we have, we have so much access to so much of God's word, more so than any other generation in history. We have more access to, to the knowledge, and there's a lot, of, a lot of false information out there, a lot of bad information, but we have so much access in our modern day and time to the truth of God's word. Anybody in this room can study Greek and Hebrew. Did you know that? You can be a Greek student. You can be a student of Hebrew, and you don't even have to learn to read or speak the language either one. There are tools out there that break down phonetically the, the tenses and, and, and of the verbs and all the other different parts of you know, language and whatnot. Did I sound educated? Because I, I kind of trailed off there at the end. I sounded smart, and then my brain went, hey, dummy, you don't know how to finish the sentence. But anyway, the point is, here's the point, and I, I was sharing this with a buddy of mine the other day. I, I said, the, the, the reality is, we, we have an entire, we have the, what we call the, the completed, canonized Word of God, 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. If you want to know more about why we uh, adhere to that as believers, you can go to John's class, Ridge U, and they're talking about how we got the Bible, why we believe the Bible. It's all very important, but the fact is, we have more Scripture now than, than the vast majority of, of church history. And, and, but now we complicate Christianity more than any other time in church history as well. When the reality is, and I'm not trying to dumb things down to, to, to you know, uh, just, just a deep level where it doesn't have any meaning or efficacy anymore, but, but I am saying that living the Christian life is not all that entirely complicated. It's actually this simple. You ready? Here's how simple it is. If you didn't have 66 books of the Bible, which at many points in history they didn't, they, 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 they had portions of Scripture, 
We have all of it, thank God. But if you didn't, here's what Jesus said. When the, when, the, when the Pharisees came to him and said, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? They were trying to catch him in his words. They were trying to get him all mixed up, asking him trick questions. They said, Master, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He said, I'll tell you what the greatest commandment is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not rocket science. Love God, pursue God. And then the second commandment is like it. So he was only asked what was the greatest commandment in the law. He said, I'm going to tell you what the greatest commandment is, and I'm going to tell you the other commandment that's really the litmus test as to whether or not you're obeying the first one. And that is you love your neighbor as yourself. See, because you can talk a big talk when it comes to loving God, and you can fake that. You can use all sorts of lip service and all sorts of big terminology and talk about how much you love God, but what it boils down to is that your love for God is manifested and revealed by how you love other people. And so it's not that complicated, is it? We complicate it. You don't have to have all, you know, have all the finer points of the doctrines of eschatology ironed out. I'm not saying you shouldn't study it, knock yourself out, make yourself a student of the Bible, but living the life is not that complicated. With Christ at the foundation, we understand that everything else that we build on top of that foundation should align characteristically with who Jesus is. So if we begin building on that foundation, if we begin teaching things that do not align with the characteristics of Christ, it ought to immediately throw up a red flag. If somebody says we're saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone and everybody says amen, that's what the word of God says. And then they start saying things like, but now, and they add all this other stuff on top of it, what we call extra biblical teaching that Jesus condemned, by the way. He called out the religious leaders saying, you're teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You're making politics and social issues as big a deal, if not in many cases a bigger deal, than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your attitude does not align with the foundation upon which your faith is built. So, today, boys and girls, we've got to, at some point, dismantle from our hearts, from our minds, every faulty construct. Because the reality is, and I know some people don't like you calling out preachers these days, but I'm going to call out preachers by name. I'm going to give you their phone numbers. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I just said it to get your attention because I know you love drama. It's not, I'm not going to do that. But the fact is there are a lot of things being portrayed and conveyed and taught in church culture that just doesn't line up, obviously, with the Bible, but ultimately with the nature of who Jesus is. So we have to begin, and, and I think in many cases, a lot of us have adopted certain, certain viewpoints, certain philosophical, and theo even theological constructs that are unbiblical. So we, we have to be willing to dismantle that and begin to break it down. Now, notice what it says in chapter number three and verse three. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter three, verse three, he said, for you, are you there? I, I hear pages shuffling. I need you to look at it. This is important because I've got it underlined and highlighted in my Bible. That means it's very important. It says, for you are still carnal, period. Stop there. For you, who? No, you. Stigging, see, you're throwing stones at me. For you, we 
are still carnal. If you think you've arrived, you're at the wrong destination. Nobody's made it there yet, right? So, so Paul says in plain terms, you are still carnal. And, and this is the ultimate dilemma that we all face, is that we're still in a physical body that has physical limitations and frailties. You are still carnal. So the most common problem that we all struggle with is that we have a lot of thoughts, we have a lot of opinions, and we have a lot of ideas that are not necessarily inspired by the Spirit of God, which, by the way, is the definition of carnal. If you want a simple definition, you don't even need to look to Webster's Dictionary. A simple definition of the word carnal is simply not inspired by the Spirit. If it, if it comes from my intellect, my opinion, my perspective, it's carnal. It's fleshly. It's not spiritual. If it's not inspired by God's Spirit, that is the very definition of carnal. So, so hear me out. You remember I, I made this statement several times because I want you to hear it. I want you to know it and believe it. You will never outperform your convictions. You remember that statement? You will never outperform your convictions, meaning you will never outlive. You can't fake certain things. We can only fake it for a little while. You'll never outperform. You'll never outlive what you genuinely believe deep down in your heart. And we unpacked a lot of specifics a couple weeks ago that, we, that we've just adopted certain toxic mindsets that, that until we break that down, we'll never outlive that. You're going to go on living that because you believe it deep down in your heart. You'll never outperform your convictions. And, and, and here's what I want to say to you today. This is a painful process at times, but it's necessary if we're going to grow and mature spiritually. So now watch what it says in verse number 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul said, let no one deceive himself. Look at it again while I very nonchalantly grab some Kleenex and wipe my nose. Paul says, he says, let no one, (laughs) that was very smooth, wasn't it? Nobody saw a thing. Let no one deceive himself. The worst person you can lie to is you. But we do. We lie to ourselves. Absolutely. Paul said, don't don't deceive yourself. If, If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, this this culture, this timeline. Anyone seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. How about that? If anyone seems to be wise, you think you have got life figured out. If anyone seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool. In other words, sit down and shut up and become a student for a little while and stop pretending like you know everything. I don't know. We all at some point have to be willing to tear down our systems of philosophy and sometimes our systems that we identify as systems of faith or our certain Christian convictions that in fact are not rooted in the truth of God's word. We have to be willing to tear those things down in order to let Christ build on the foundation of his goodness and grace. 
So, so it's painful at times, but it's necessary if we're going to grow. Now, now, sometimes I can be a bit honorary. I don't know if y'all know this, but, but I love challenging people's ideologies. I do. I love to challenge people's thoughts, especially, especially if, if, if you take a very dogmatic position on a subject that is objectively debatable. You understand what I mean by that? When somebody takes a very strong stand on something that really could be discussed, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that there, are y'all following me? Are you still, I'm, okay. When somebody takes an, a, a very strong dogmatic stand on something that, that is, that's arguable, right? It's debatable. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, let's not pretend like there aren't other angles to that, Right? And so I like to challenge people in that just to prove a point. Sometimes I'll argue for things I don't even believe. <laughs> just to prove that there is another side. Just to prove that maybe, maybe we should go back to the drawing board and, and study a little bit more because the fact is we don't have everything figured out just yet, right? So, so here's how it should work. This is the way things are supposed to work in our lives as Christians. I want you to notice with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 2. I'm talking about being willing to dismantle every faulty construct within our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and, and verse, number, verse number 3. I think I said 2. 2 Corinthians 10 verse number 3. It should be on the screen. Here we go. It says, for y'all know me. I wouldn't make you turn there. Come on, guys. I don't need paper cuts in church. We'll put it on the screen. You ready? He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Again, this is, this is a universal st statement that, that's true in every application. Though we walk in the flesh, we function, we operate, we live in a physical world. We do not go to battle. We don't go to war. Our struggle is not, in fact, with the physical world that we live in. Though we walk, operate, live, abide in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we should not be trying to engage in a spiritual battle using physical weapons. You hear me? In other words, in other words, a physical, a physical solution will never solve a spiritual problem. That makes sense? A physical solution will never solve a spiritual problem. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now notice verse number four, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number four says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not physical, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a portion a parcel of our lives, just to give it direct connotation, when he talks about a stronghold in this context, he's talking about the idea and the fact that the enemy himself can capture portions of our, of our mind, our mental constructs, our philosophies, our thinking. Did you know that you have an enemy out there the Bible identifies as the devil? Hmm. Meh. We do. We live in a spiritual realm, and the spiritual realm is just as real, if not more real, than the physical realm because the spiritual realm is eternal. The physical world's temporal. 
And the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, meaning that they have higher power and access to things that you do not have access to. And yet the enemy, the devil himself can infiltrate your thought processes. Now, I hope you can give me a resounding no on this question. I already gave you the answer. Can a Christian be possessed by a demonic spirit? Wow, that was a very weak no, even though I told you what it was. A Christian can't be possessed by the demonic spirit in the sense of a demon spirit. Does this make y'all nervous? Okay, it should a little bit. A demonic spirit cannot take possession of a believer if you're, if you're saved and you're, in, and, you're, and you're born again by the power of God and the spirit of Christ abides in you, then you are the possession of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Again, I'm going to show you that in just a moment. A demonic spirit cannot possess in the sense of taking ownership of a believer's body and mind. There's a big but here though. But the Bible does clearly teach us that the enemy can introduce thoughts into your mind. And if you obey those thoughts and adhere to those thoughts and receive those thoughts as truth, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if the enemy can get you to believe a lie and you operate and you conduct your life based on that lie or that system of lies, then no, you are not possessed in the sense of being indwelt and owned by a demonic spirit, but your life is being adversely affected by the fact that you have bought into a thing that is not true about you and in some cases, things that are not true about God. Are you following me? So when, when, when the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, he defines what that means in the next verse. You ready to see what a, what a demonic stronghold is in the life of a Christian? This was not written to, to unbelievers. This was written to believers. This is a demonic stronghold in the life of a believer. Verse number five, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Here's a very simple explanation of what that means. It means that, first of all, it doesn't mean, I used to get kind of anxious about this. We have any overthinkers in the room? Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the club. I used to think that I had to consciously try to catch every single thought that entered my mind. And that's frustrating because my mind is like a pinball machine. Ting, 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 bouncing all over. And so it, it became a, like almost gave me anxiety to try to consci consciously catch every thought, right? I don't think it means that because I don't, I don't have time for that personally. But here's what I do believe it means. A stronghold is something that has taken hold. <laughs> this is deep stuff, guys. I, I don't know if you're recognizing how profound this is. A stronghold is something that has taken hold. And so it's not just every fleeting thought. It's a thought, however, that has gotten a hold of your mind. What we might call a nagging thought or a chronic thought pattern. What we need to do is be able to arrest those thought patterns and examine them in light of the truth of God's word. 
So we pull all of it out of the shadows. If I'm thinking something, if there's just this chronic thought that keeps plaguing my mind and running through my mind and I'm believing it or I'm operating off of something that was said to me or, or somebody maybe criticized me and I took it to heart and whatever the case might be, we've got to be able to pull that down, put it under the light of God's word, put it under the scope and microscope of God's holy word and say, is this the truth? If it's not, he said, you have to be willing and able to cast it down and just disregard it as garbage right? Just click on it, slide it over to the trash and let it go. Any computer users in the room? (laughs) We have to be willing to cast those thoughts down and we have to be willing to let God's word challenge our thought processes. You have to allow the word of God, which is a brilliant, I mean, I shouldn't have to tell you how brilliant the word of God is, We have to be willing to let the Word of God scrutinize our thought processes. And if my thought process does not align with the very Word of God, we need to confess with Paul that God is true and every man, including me, a liar. That God's Word is the foundation of all things true. How much time we got? Not much. Here we go. So so if, if, if what you believe can't withstand the pressure of honest questions, you better take a real hard look at what you believe in is what I'm trying to say. If you are offended and get bowed up and bristled up and PO'd when somebody challenges your belief system, you better take a hard look at what you believe because truth never fears a challenge. And so we have to be willing to scrutinize our own systems of faith and beliefs in order to find freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a very long cascading sentence because I need to find a stopping point now. You all want to come back to 11 o'clock and I'll preach for an hour and a half? So, so, so let me show you some things. Let me just show you some things that you need to know real quick. Are you ready? All right. Notice in verse 16 of chapter number three. He asked this question. He asked, there's more to the question, but I just want you to see the first, first four words. He says, do you not know? indicating there are some things that we don't need to know that we need to know. You follow me? Do you not know? And here's what he goes on to say. That your bodies are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. He said, did you not know that? Now that phrase, that statement, that that interrogatory statement is, is an appeal to our intellect. God's challenging our IQs to a certain degree. It says, did you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you know this morning? Hear me out. Did you know that your body, y'all can move real slow because I know I hit the button too soon. I got a little button that calls them back there. We're sophisticated. It's a wireless doorbell. Did you not know that your bodies, your body, your physical body, is the, is the house of God. If you're a believer in Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, your body is the place where God's Spirit abides. As crude and as broken and as flawed and messed up as we are, this is where God's Spirit has chosen to live. His Spirit, His invisible and yet perceivable presence, lives and breathes and abides in you. Did you know that? Did you, I mean, really, did you know that? 
Second question, do you believe that? He lives here, there, all around you, and every person that's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do you really believe that the presence of God, the invisible and yet perceivable presence of God, abides in every single one of us that he calls this body his house? You know it. Do you believe it? And if you do believe it, are you living like you believe it? Are you living like you believe the Spirit of God has occupied your life? Do you live as if your life is inhabited by the very presence of God in such a way that he's shifting your attitudes and behaviors and molding you into a person that transcends the toxic idiosyncrasies of our society and even religious culture because God is greater than any man-made construct of religion. Do you live like that? Do you live as if he walks with you and talks with you and is willing to guide you on a daily basis? that he's willing and so interested in your life that it says he will order your steps if you'll commit your ways to him? That if you'll acknowledge him, he'll direct your paths? That if you'll commit your ways unto him, he'll even establish your thoughts? Do you live that way? Do you behave that way? Do you operate as if the very Spirit of God abides in you? Because if not, you should. We are possessed by God's presence, and that in and of itself gives us the power to overcome and outlive our darkest, most complicated issues. You'll never solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. We have to turn to Christ. We have to trust in Him. I've got so much more I've got to say, but I just don't have time this morning. So let me simply say this to you. If you're here and you have never put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior, I hate crash landing this plane, but here's where we're going to land it. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is nothing more important in this moment. You don't need to be anywhere that's more important. You don't have any responsibilities this afternoon that are more important. The most important thing right now, right here today, is that you get your faith in Christ settled. That you come to that, po that point, that crossroads, that moment where you trust in Jesus, where you realize that Jesus is not a part of a religious system, that he's not just a part of, of your little, little journey. He is everything so much so. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have to come to Jesus plus nothing, minus nothing in faith, believing him that his death on the cross was for your salvation. Let's all stand together this morning with our heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And Father, we simply ask that you'd meet every need of every heart. That would not be a simple task for any one human or any group of people, but for you, Father, we understand it's a simple task for you to supply the need of every heart, and we pray that you would do that. Knowing every person, knowing every detail of every person's life, I pray that you'd meet them where they are. In this moment, we'll give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name. No.